Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're crossing to the other side of the world and we are in the sunny country, the sunny country of downtown Ireland. I'd like to welcome today, I'd like to welcome Jeannie Granger. Welcome Jeannie. Thanks very much, Mel. It's great to be here. Yeah. Now, everybody, we're going to let you in on a little secret. This is about the fifth time that we've tried to record this thing. But because we're so very, very patient, uh, we finally get to chat and Jenny has very quickly become my new best friend. We will have some sound issues as we go through today, but please bear with us. I can assure you, Jenny uh, is particularly Irish in her humour and the stories that she has to tell. So it's well worth persevering. I'm certainly hanging around to the end of this interview, so I hope you do with us. Uh, Jeannie, I would like to start right at the very beginning, 2013. I never start my interviews at the beginning. Tell me, you have only been writing for four years, but you've been telling me that you're doing very nicely, so much so that you can give up teaching. Um, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's that's a reasonable assessment of how things are going. I it's really taken off, I suppose, in the last year, eighteen months. Um, I've taken two courses um, on marketing and you know ebook kind of um, all the, the business end of that, which isn't actually my natural bent at all. I'm I'm a bit hopeless at business and I'm really hopeless at maths, but um, I've had to figure it out. So um, as a result of following the instructions, really, of two two guys, Nick. Stevenson and Mark Dawson, um, I really managed to turn it into a quite lucrative business. So um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Now I pretended I was starting at the beginning, everybody, but not really. Uh, I know a little bit of Ginny's story, and I think it's very important for for us here in Indie Authorland uh, to to realise that the most important thing we can do is market. Uh, I met Jeannie through uh, one of these courses and I never knew whether it was um, Mark Dawson's or Nick Stevenson's. But the fact is Jeannie is quite prolific in those groups. Uh, she's always trying new things. She's always pushing marketing boundaries. And I think for those of us watching on, it's really, really impressive that not only has she been writing uh, since 2013, and we'll talk a minute and where she's up to with the books. I think we're up to four novels and a novella and there's some more coming out. Uh, the novella turns into a, a full-length novel, but we'll talk about that. What interests me right now, Jeannie, is that those courses have, have allowed you to be able to write full time now get this everybody if you're going, if you're a romantic you're going to love it from a little irish cottage in in cork at the bottom of <laughs> ireland there yeah yeah well i don't write full time i teach part time and uh, i write full time <laughs> so or yeah so i i think um i my plan was originally that i would you know do both but uh, the marketing side of it, as well as the writing, but particularly the marketing, is is really time consuming. So I'm a part time teacher and I'm a full time writer. So, um, and I'm 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 very happy for it to to stay at that level because I think apart from anything else, um, the oxygen 
written for stories, if you know what I mean. The ideas and the conversations come from living in the world, being out in the world. And I think if you closet yourself away, however idyllic your little stone cottage is, um, you, you, you start to lose that, you know, you lose the oxygen. And, and so I think I'll always be doing a job other than this, you know, because I, where else would you get the ideas from? Where else would the stories come from, you know? Yeah. Now, I was reading uh, one of your blog posts, Jeannie, where you talked about this issue exactly, that you've got to get out there and live in the world and you've got to live amongst the stories. Now, everybody, I've got to tell you, this is a particularly Irish Irish trait, uh, that talking to people, getting to know people, seeing them in their natural environment, listening, observing, all that kind of stuff, without it, your writing can't be as rich. Is, is that true? Oh, definitely. Um, the great Maeve Binchy on whom I base my, um, my entire career and uh, to whom I have been compared most, most flatteringly, um, said, you know, that they say that you should have, um, at a dinner party, you should invite four talkers and four listeners. Well, that would be completely impossible in Ireland because nobody knows four listeners. So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, look, everybody... everybody yeah, it's true, isn't it? We, we all know. No, everybody sings. Everybody, everybody talks at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and... Look, I'm sorry we're breaking in and out, everybody, and Jeannie and I will probably talk over each other a little bit, but that's okay because I'm determined for this interview to go ahead. Um, I lived in Ireland for a while. What Jeannie says is absolutely true. And they talk about a little bit of crack, Jeannie. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my first book, The Tour, is actually based on a bus tour. And before I was a teacher, I was a tour guide. So I used to take groups of Americans around Ireland, and um, that was definitely some crack. And in Ireland, the word crack, Crack, C-R-A-I-C, has nothing to do with hallucinogenic drugs. It's, it's, it's having fun, having a laugh, enjoying yourself. So people can be described as being great crack or an event could be great crack. But it used to horrify the poor elderly Americans on the buses with me in the, in the early days. I'd say, oh, you're over here now. You're going to have great crack now for the week. And they're looking at me going, oh, my God, what have we booked? You know? <laughs> I used to love it, everyone. I loved the crack. I love going into the Irish pubs where everyone would be singing and dancing and doing a jig. Every cliche you can ever think about the Irish is true. Uh, <laughs> and right to the point where they really, really love Australians, don't they? You'll have to, you'll have to give me that again, Mel. I'm, that's dropped out, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, can't remember what I was saying. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, it's really true. The Irish love a story and right to the point where, I can't remember, what were we talking about? <laughs> Sam will be able to cut and paste. Just talking about generally about Ireland yeah. and the national. Yeah. 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 The okay, national, let's... you know, it's, it's not an accident that um, we're known around the world for our stories and our music and our um, literature and not for our science and our maths. I mean, we do science and maths as well, but our natural sort of inclination is towards the arts, I think. And we're, we are a nation of storytellers and I come from a very long line of storytellers. And I would say that I'm probably not the most uh, prolific or the most colourful of the storytellers in my family. Um, I may be the only one with the discipline to sit down and write it down, but uh, certainly, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's everywhere here. Yeah, and I'm sitting here um, as I'm talking to Jenny and I have a list of books that go past my arm up to my head and had we been on video, I would have shown everybody these books because when I was in Ireland, I couldn't resist buying anything and everything. Now, Jenny, you talk about being coming uh, after Maeve Benchy. Maeve Benchy was one of my favourite authors after Catherine Cookson. I went from Catherine Cookson to Maeve Benchy. Uh, now, tell me more about her so that everybody gets the flavour of what you write. Um, Maeve, Maeve sadly has passed away now, but... Oh, what a storyteller. She was, she was an amazing, amazing writer. And 
I grew up reading her books. I started reading her books at the age of maybe 12 or 13, even though they're for adults. Um, and she, a lot of her books were sort of, I suppose, historical fiction as in set in maybe the 50s and the 60s when she was growing up. But she had just, what I really described Maeve as having fantastic emotional intelligence. Like she, she understands why people react the way they do. And she, she got it spot on all the time, you know. Um, and I just, I loved her stories. And as a, as a teenager, I was so influenced by her. And then when I, when I started tour guiding, really, um, I guess, you know, that's, that's storytelling in another sense. And the people on the tours used to always say to me, oh, you should write down these stories, you know, some of the true ones and some of them with a little bit of embellishment. And, um, and so I did. And when I, I didn't really write with the intention of, of emulating Maeve Binchy, but I guess her life was so much, and her writing was so much a part of what I was about, that um, when the reviews started coming in, people started saying, you know, God, this is so reminiscent of Maeve Binchy, really reminds me of her. And that was, that was just the highest possible compliment I could ever receive. Yeah, and I, I didn't know that when we started the so, um, interview, everybody. She's, she's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know that um, when we started this interview, so I'm really excited to, to follow that a little bit further. Uh, tell us about your academic career and how that um, turned into your second novel, which I believe was about women in World War II. Yes, well, when I, when I finished my degree, um, I was accepted onto a PhD programme. Um, so I was writing a PhD on um, Irish women's involvement in the Second World War. And with that in mind, I uh, interviewed a lot of ladies in, here in Ireland who had served in various capacities. And I, I suppose the, the, the main thrust of the thesis was, it was understandable why the Anglo-Irish women, the Protestant women who lived here, would have fought with the British because they, they culturally would identify as British more than Irish. But I was interested as to why poor Catholic women would have signed up for various things. And so I interviewed all these amazing people, just incredible people. And um, with all of their stories and they just blew me away with their stories and I was in the process of writing up my um my thesis and I kind of realized one day that I didn't really want this to be uh their stories were so vibrant and so interesting and fascinating that the idea of having them locked away forever in a fusty old PhD doctorate with you know millions of footnotes and it was almost like it was extracting the humanity out of the stories by putting a real academic kind of um you know put it, framework around it so I just decided to um, to write it as a novel instead. So um, so that's where so much of the, the the story that I wrote set in Ireland during the Second World War um, that follows a, a particular a set of twins and uh, one the, it may or may not come as news to your listeners, but um, because Ireland was neutral during the Second World War, um, there was quite a lot of interaction between Nazi Germany and the Irish Republican army who um, felt that on the theory that my enemy's enemy is my friend sort of idea and the Germans allegedly promised that in the event of them winning the war they would grant independence to Ireland um, and get the six counties of the north of Ireland which are now still part of the United Kingdom that they'd get those back um, and give them back to the Republic in return for assistance um, so one part of the story revolves around that around uh, people who get caught up with the Nazis and um, another story is uh, involving a, a young woman a young Irish woman who who did, as so many did, um, joined up. And uh, she, she had a French nanny through a whole series of unfortunate events, which meant she spoke fluent French. Um, so as you can imagine where that led her. So, um, yeah, so that, I'm really, I love that book. Um, and I was very honored recently because it won the Author's Choice um, Best Historical Fiction of 2016 in the States. So that was, uh, that was a real boost. So that was in America. That was, um, you won that award because I was going to talk about your awards. Now we're talking about Shadow of a Century, are we? No, we're talking about so much old. Say that again. 
So much ode. So much ode. And it does have a beautiful, beautiful cover. The title of that book is So Much Ode. Yeah. Okay. That's so my daughter, actually. <laughs> if you look up So Much Ode, everybody, uh, I'm certainly um, going to read it. I bought a boxed set, which we'll talk about in a minute, and why that's such a great way for authors to sell their novels. But it's also a great, great way for readers to get really good value and to understand their novels. So we'll talk about that. But I want to stay with your historical research, and I want to stay with you weaving stories, I think, out of historical data. Now, you obviously are very, very good at research and you obviously take that very seriously. How much work does it take to humanise that history? Nothing at all. It doesn't take any work at all, really. Because um, I've always, I'm a history teacher um, and history for me has always been about people. You know, I, I, I've never been a history teacher or, a, or even indeed a student that was interested in, you know, the details of troop movements and wars or things like that. That, that never really, that never interested me. The part of history that's always interested me in social history and the impact that events in time have on the individuals living in that time. So for me, I've always been much more personality driven in terms of learning about history than events driven, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I've got a quote for you here, everybody, and I just love it. Uh, Literature in all its forms is the conversation of mankind. If your heart is broken, it hurts. Yeah. So I'm just going to bring every, I'm going to bring Jeannie back in, everybody. Uh, After you wrote that book, So Much Ode, what did you move on to next? Um, The next book I wrote was called Shadow of a Century. And um, it was coming up to the 100th anniversary of the 1916 Rising, in which Ireland declared its independence in Britain after 800 years of occupation. And um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very interested in that time period um, as well. And my husband is also a historian, which is really helpful. And he's, he's an expert in that area. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't have been my academic speciality, but I do know a good bit about it. And so a, a story kind of popped into my head, almost fully formed one day, um, where a flag is found in New York in 2016. And um, this flag was carried from Ireland and was used during the, the revolution. And the story of the flag almost kind of joins the story of 2016. So we have a, a journalist in New York in 2016 who, through a, a very poor judgment on her part of who she fell in love with, um, ends up losing her job, losing everything. And she stumbles across this lady who, um, whose parents fought in 1916. And the story unfolds as they go back in time. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very well received, I have to say. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, everybody, I'm sorry that we keep interrupting each other. Jenny and I have sort of worked out now that if we pause and wait, uh, we may get through this interview, but we're having all sorts of sound issues, but that's okay. Um, Sam's a miracle worker. She'll be able to sort it all out when we finish recording. Uh, Sagas, Jenny, I'm really excited to see that sagas are coming back into fashion. um, It went through a huge um, period there where people didn't want to read big books but I notice even in the bookshops at the moment that sagas seem to be having a return to fashion. Would you say that? Um, I don't know, Mel, to be honest, because I, I don't actually know anything about book fashion because I, <laughs> I kind of only write whatever is, whatever is kind of in my head. I, I've, I've never been able to write, you know, people say an ebook should be like 50, 60,000 words, you know, you'll get away with that much. And maybe that works fine in the thriller genre or maybe the romance genre. I don't know. I don't write in those genres, but um, all of my books are 90 to a hundred thousand words and, I can't see how I would tell a story in anything less than that, you know? 
So if, if you say sagas are coming back, well, that's great news for me. <laughs> so how long would it take you to write a 100,000 word novel? I've written, this week, I've written 20,000 words. So um, I, I could write 20,000 words in a week and then I might go for a month and not write anything. I, I'm not very disciplined that way. It just, okay. whatever's, if I'm in the zone, I, I write like Billy Oak and I'm, you know, but uh, yeah, so at the moment I'm, I'm on a new story and I'm very excited about it. So it's, it's pouring out of me. Ha, give us a hint. Come on, tell us all about it. Uh, the new one? Yeah, yeah, come on. Are we allowed well, to ask everybody? We want to know. Uh, okay, well, um, next week, or uh, the week after next, actually, the, the sequel to the tour is coming out um, called Safe at the Edge of the World. And um, this is a, a story about, um, so all the crew of the original tour, some of the crew are there, and uh, there's, a, there's a priest, and uh, well, there's a couple on the tour. Uh, it turns out he's a priest, and she's, um, she's a mob boss's daughter. And uh, well, they shouldn't be there, but it's that way. And uh, there's a lot of people looking for them and they decide that the only safe place to be is on an Irish bus tour. Um, because people may or may not know this, but in a bus tour, nothing is, uh, none of the reservations are in your own name. They're all done through a company. So it's an excellent place to hide. Um, cruises, I believe, also come under this category. So if you ever, here's a top tip. If you ever want to disappear, tour buses and cruises, ideal. Um, everywhere else you need to have credit cards and you know, car rentals and stuff. So, um, so that's coming out in two weeks' time. So um, that's by far my best-selling book, The Tour. And so I just had an idea for um, another, another book in that series. So this is the third book in the series that I'm writing. And uh, it's, um, it's a little bit of a turn away from, from what's been happening so far, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. There's a, there's a slightly supernatural element to it because um, Irish people are very superstitious and uh, we believe... I think uh, more than your average person or average nationality would in things that are not of this earth. Um, so there's an element of that in the new book. So that's what I'm kind of really excited about writing. Yeah. And it's interesting listening to you, Jenny, as you talk, and I'm letting you talk more and more so I can um, not interrupt you. Uh, you talk about writing from experience. Uh, now, obviously, you get an awful lot of experiences on those tours and hiding away on a bus would never have occurred to me in a million years. Uh, you, you, draw a lot from your personal experience but you also draw a lot from that rich academic background do you think the combination of the two is what's attracting um your readership I, I i'd like to think so yeah i hope so um like the i, I i'd love to my, my biggest issue really is I, i'm finding it hard to find what genre i am you know it, i don't really write romance i don't really write thrillers i don't there's a bit there's an element of excitement there's an element of romance there's an element of saga in, in the whole thing but um yeah i think definitely you know coming from it i have a five uh, there's five kids in my family and um and my parents and i have a huge extended family i have four children myself um and so the, all of those people and all of their experiences and as i said we're very loud and very noisy and talkative so all of those experiences feed into this vast kind of um idea you know of, of where stories come from so i think that combined yeah with my kind of academic background could be the, the secret sauce. I, I'm not really sure what it is, but it's, it's working anyway. Uh, all right. So it gives us a fair idea of, of your writing style, your writing background because of the, um, the history of the Irish and, and their storytelling, but the marketing of it, and this is, this is what I think is really important, important everybody that we need to realise, is that there is no hard and fast rule 
and that we have to practice and we have to see what works and what doesn't. Now, Jenny, you have been trying all sorts of things to see what works, um, from BookBub ads to Amazon and back again. Would you like to talk us through some of those, some of those experiences and what actually worked for you? Okay, well, I suppose the, the, the first thing I'm going to say is a, is a thing that maybe strikes a bit of frustration into the heart of a lot of writers, but um, I've been really fortunate in that I've had a lot of BookBub feature deals. Um, I've got another one coming up in next month. I had one last month. I had the month, one the month before that. So, um, and over the course of a few years, I've, I've been really fortunate. They are amazing. They're just amazing in terms of, of uh, getting your books out there. You know, you can have... 40, 50,000 downloads in 24 hours. And they're all potential readers, you know. So, so I definitely can't underestimate the impact of BookBub. They're, they really are incredible. I know they're hard to get into. I know that it seems quite arbitrary. You know, it's, it's tricky to know how, how to get at them. But all I would say to people is just keep trying, keep trying, you know, just keep submitting your book to them because if, if they take it, it'll bring it to a whole new level. Um, so there's that. I, I do BookBub advertising. I do Amazon advertising. Um, I, I don't blog because I just don't feel like I've anything to say that's really worth talking about in terms of blogging. Lots of people do, but I don't think I do. Um, so um, I do a bit of Facebook advertising. Uh, not so much, but I'll be doing a little bit more in the future. Um, but the main thing is, like, not being, you know, trying not to be kind of, trying to be as authentic as you can be. Like, all the reviews on my books are genuine reviews of people I don't know. You know, I don't use review um, companies or anything like that. And I think people see that, you know they can see that it's sort of genuine. And this, this people say they hate my books and that's absolutely perfect. That's great. In fact, a couple of bad ones is good for you. Um, but I think it's having, you know, being quite prolific in your writing, you know, keep churning them out, um, being really, really professional in the approach to covers and editing. And, you know, you need to spend a bit of money. Um, I, I don't do any of my own formatting. I don't do my own covers. I don't do my own editing. Um, I, I, outsource all of that I don't really run my website my I have a web designer people who do that for me um so things that you know I think to to look and to compete against traditionally published books you need to outsource to the experts so I do that a lot um so I think a combination of all of those things really is is the secret to the success that I've had you know yeah uh you forgot one thing that I'm really interested in education I think you made a quote there earlier and you said something about um education is for life isn't it yeah yeah now you invest in courses I know I know you as you said Mark Dawson's and Nick Stevenson's courses do you do anything else now you finished a PhD so I'm assuming that was a, a little while in now uh, no I didn't finish it I didn't finish it I uh I abandoned it <laughs> I had it written I didn't. I didn't actually submit it. I don't. I don't. I, do, I wasn't willing to do the the work to finish it off. So, I was accepted onto the program, and I just, I just walked away. Um, and I'm, I don't ever regret that. That was a that was a really good decision for me. So, uh, the academic life isn't isn't really one for me. I I don't. Um, in terms of education, I think education. You know, there's so much out there to be learned. But for from the point of view of a writer. It's, it's a noisy place. It's a noisy, noisy place. And everybody's trying to sell you a course and everybody's trying to tell you, you they have the secret formula of making you a bestseller. Um, of all of the noise that's out there, I would suspect that Mark Dawson is probably one of the most authentic. Um, but that said, a lot of it is trial and error. And Mark says this himself, try it, you know, try something, see, does it work? What will work for me may not work for you. What will work for you may not work for somebody else, you know. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a thin line. I'm in a writer's group. Um, if any of them are listening, the 10K Angels. 
um, who are fantastic. There's a, a whole bunch of us women writers from all over the world. And we have a, we have a great group going where we, we try ideas out and we, we help each other along. And it's, we'd all would say, I think everybody would say that it's just trial and error all the time. You know, give it a go, see does it work. And things that worked last month won't work this month. And, you know, things that were a disaster before suddenly start working for you. It's, it's, it's a bit like swimming in treacle, really. But um, just keep at it is the thing, you know. And I would, I suppose, really think that in terms of educating and learning, pick one person and follow them, you know. And I'd, I'd have to say, I'm not getting anything for this, but I'd have to say Mark Dawson would be the person for me. He's, he knows his stuff. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm listening to you here. Not, not quite sure when to jump in, uh, jump in with our pausing that's going on. It's, some, it's, it's almost like everybody, there's a pulse uh, that something's interfering with our phone line and it's interesting and I'm wondering whether it's got anything to do with our wonderful Australian Telstra. Um, now, you talk about the 10K Angels, you talk about your book group. Uh, Joanne Dannon and Tracy Peterson, everyone, are part of that group. They've been on the podcast several times now and if you haven't listened to their podcast, you've got to do it because they're particularly crazy ladies. And I think, Jeannie, I could see how you would fit in very well with them because <laughs> they they're, sure both, <laughs> they're both indie authors and they both are doing really, really well because they're trying new things all the time. And they're always, they're in the courses, they're in Mark Dawson's, they're in Nick Stevenson's, they're in other courses because it's only through, dare I say, the Facebook groups where you meet other authors, that is one of the biggest value value things from from those courses is you get to meet people who are on the same track that you are absolutely and you know one of the things that is so fantastic and I wasn't expecting about the indie world I have a lot of friends who are traditionally published and without I mean you know fair enough whatever but that it doesn't seem to be a particularly helpful world everybody seems to be in competition with each other and there's quite a lot of you know a bit of feelings of disgruntlement that people are being pushed and others aren't and so on um, the indie world isn't like that at all. It's it's really a lift all boats attitude, you know. Just the other day, um, I was I was struggling with bookbub ads. I wasn't really sure about the creatives, and one of the writers in in Mark's group posted about how he was how it was working. So I just Facebook messaged him. I don't know this man at all, and I said, "Listen, what what are you doing? Do you mind helping me?" He sends me back like this big, huge, long message with the points like, "Do this, do this, do this, do this." Um, I do that for people when they when they contact me. Um, you know, it's very much a sharing thing, and there's not a sense that if I'm doing well, then that means you know to your detriment. We really believe as Indies that you know we're we're in this together, and the the, the collegiality and the support and the, the 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 nuts and bolts help that we're all willing to offer each other all the time is is really uplifting. I, I love it. I love that part of it. And to be honest with you, you know, at this point, if I was offered a, a publishing deal, I, I, I can't see how I would take it. I can't see what would be in it for me, you know. Yeah. And there is some talk, um, Jenny, that I hear, and I haven't experienced this myself because I don't, I talk about writing, but don't quite get around to publishing anything, um, that if you're looking, if you're new to the market in the last five years and you're trying to get your stories out there, that traditional publishing is not, not, maybe may not be in your best interests and I know there are examples and dare I mention Annie Seaton where where it is in your best interest to go with a traditional publisher but we have so many opportunities now to try different things and to get some runs on the board like since 2013 to 2017 you've published quite a lot of books haven't you I have yeah I have I have four novels and a novella published I've got a, another one coming out next week and I have another one coming out at the end of August and I would anticipate this one that I'm writing at the moment will hopefully be out by Christmas. 
um, I've gotten faster. That's the main thing that I would, you know, I've, I've learned that, that those 60 and 90 day cliffs of Amazon are very real, you know, um, where they kind of stop promoting your book. And the only way to keep it going is to keep producing. Um, that's hard for some people. I know some of the, some of the people in the writers group, I mean, they just, they write slowly and that's just the way they are. And that's, that's tricky. Um, but I think, I suppose everybody can speed up, you know, um, as regards traditional publishing, um, I, ju I just think it's like comparing, you know, bananas and cars. They're just not the same thing. You know, they're both books and that's where the, that's where the resemblance ends, really. Um, I, I know that financially, I'm far better off doing it the indie way. Um, and I decide, you know, it's, it's so frustrating seeing friends of mine who are traditionally published who would love to, for example, have a book book promotion or would love to do some Facebook advertising, but, but they can't because that's all in the domain of their publishers who a lot of them think aren't doing anything for them. You know, that I think that they, their belief is that, you know, they publish so many books every year and put them out in the ones that sink, sink and the ones that swim, swim. And if it swims, then they might throw some money at it, but, um, but you're really on your own. So while you're on your own as an indie as well, you're on on your own with a huge group of people around you helping you and you get to decide you know if it's working you get to do more of it if it's not working you get to stop so um i think you know for me it's a no-brainer yeah and i I'm, I'm listening when you say that as an indie indie publisher or self-publisher we're not on our own and i think that is probably one of the biggest truths that I've, I've ever heard because I feel that I'm in a crowd of writers. I feel that there are so many people who want to, to talk to us and share their knowledges and some of the things that you've shared here tonight um, that I've made notes about. Even though I've been doing this podcast for 70-something interviews now, there's still things that I don't know about. And, and I think just by talking to people and just sharing with each other, it's really, really exciting. You talk about 60 to 90 uh, 60 to 90 day cliffs on Amazon. Would you like to explain that to those of us who aren't quite sure what you're talking about? Okay, well, so when a book is published, um, Amazon will have a look and see, you know, and if you're, if you're particularly if you're a student of Mark or, or even Nick Stevenson's, you will, um, you'll have a launch strategy, you know, or you should have anyway. Don't just put a book out there and hope for the best. You need a launch strategy, um, which will involve your advanced reader team, you know, all getting a book the same day. And, you know, there's, there's loads of tricks to the trade. You know, we don't really have time to go into it now, but um, there's, there's a lot of tricks you use to, to boost your book on the first day. Amazon will see this, their algorithms kick in, and they also promote the book for you. But they will do that for 60 days. And after that, then the book has to just work on its own. Um, there's another cliff, as we call it, after 90 days, where they, you know, maybe after 60 days, they reduce their, their input. After 90 days, they probably stop it altogether. Um, so by then you need to kind of either be bringing out another book or looking very carefully at your marketing plan to keep that, those sales buoyant, you know. Um, and that's really what you're trying to do all the time is you're trying to make Amazon work for you. Not necessarily just sell books yourself off the bat, you know, but you're trying to get the Amazon algorithms to see that your book is something that people want. Amazon is not a bookshop. It's a search engine, you know, so you really need the search engine, the, the, the search engine optimization as you would do with Google to work for you on Amazon. And the way that happens is you keep your book up there, you know, you keep it public, keep it up in the, in the rankings by using advertising and all the other things I mentioned. And when Amazon see that, you know, when the algorithms see that they go, Oh, that's a book that people like, let's try and present that to our people. And, uh, cause ultimately we're both on the same page. We both want to sell books on Amazon. So it's trying to get them to work for you is really what you're, what we're all at, you know, but it's, it's certainly a very, um, collegial thing. And, um, 
uh, that's it's it's really I've learned so much. I've learned from teachers, but I've also learned a huge amount from other writers. And I, I hope that you know people who are just starting out and can learn from people you know a little bit further along the track like me. You know, that's that's the kind of attitude we all have. I think is helping everybody. Yeah, and it, it's dragging the person up behind you to get where you are. And it is. It's really interesting, exciting. I'm curious about your book, Barbabs. I've heard that they're really really hard to get. Yet you've mentioned that you've had quite a lot. Do you think that's because you're writing, and I know you don't say you're writing in the romance genre, but if you're writing in the tracks of Mae Finchie, then you must have that huge romance element, plus you've got the saga element. Do you think those things in combination with your historical bent, do you think that's what's um, attracting the book book people? You know, Mel, I honestly don't know. They're, they're a bit nebulous, to be honest. They're a bit nebulous. Like, I could paper the walls with rejections as well, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just set my alarm to apply to BookBub every four weeks, okay? I just apply to them every four weeks and all my books in rotation. And they reject me very often, very, very often, um, as they do everybody. But um, what I keep saying to people who have never had one is don't get, don't throw your hat at it. Don't say, oh, for God's sake, I, you know, I don't, I don't want them anyway. You do, you really do. Um, <laughs> you know, frustrating as they might be, you really, really want them to take your book and keep at it. Um, I will have an average of 50,000 downloads when I do a free book promotion with, with BookBub. And then um, I will see that exponentially in sales then in the, in the weeks afterwards, you know. Um, it's really a, it's a huge boost. And I think because of that, then you generate so many more reviews. Um, I do think BookBub look at the reviews. They look at a lot of things. They look at the cover. They look at the reviews. Um, and I think they, they look at past successes with them as well. I think it kind of grows on itself. So they've seen that the BookBub promotions that I've done as featured deals have worked very well for me and also for them and their, their audience like it. So then they're more predisposed to letting me in. So I think maybe if you're in, getting in the first time is probably tricky. Um, not probably, definitely very tricky. Once you're in, I think that maybe it's easier after that. So maybe that gives people a little bit of hope. I, I laugh as Jenny's talking, everybody, because this is really, I think, a podcast for people who are fairly advanced in their, in their writing, I think, um, because Jenny's throwing around some terms here like featured deals and all that kind of stuff and exponential, exponential, exponential sales. And, and they're things that you really need to be looking about, looking at, because BookBub ads, correct me if I'm wrong, they're free downloads, those 50,000 downloads, but then you're hoping that people will buy your other books. Yeah, and they do. And then everybody, you can buy a cottage in Cork and live happily ever after with your um, handsome a hero. percentage of them. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> and then so we'll write... Who remembers to load the dish. <laughs> yeah and that sort of stuff (laughs) (laughs) and you can and you can um live happily ever after with your handsome hero and write romance novels about it Jeannie when I was in Ireland I was in a park in a place I think it was Drumcondra and I was sitting there and I was writing and two women walked past me and they said what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just, I'm just scribbling down a story. And I said, you really should write romance novels. And then they kept talking and then they turned, I kept walking and they turned around back and they came back to me again. And they said, you know, we're really serious. You should really write romance novels. And I wondered to this day whether they were actually novelists themselves. And if I'd been brave enough, I would have had a couple of writing friends in Ireland. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, man. You're going to have to rephrase that. I, I missed a lot of that question. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine how I'm going from this end. Um, all right. 
I want to uh, I want to finish with something, everybody. Jeannie and I have done very well to get this far in this interview because of our sound issues, but we've I've had a bit of fun, so I wanted to keep it going as long as I could. But I think we're both getting a bit tired now. I just want to read something to you, Jeannie, and I hope you get as much of this as you can. Um, you say, am I the only one who fantasises that Mark, Mark Dawson, just swoops down into my life, takes my computer, sets my huge <laughs> ROI... Um, in a matter of moments, and we all live happily ever after. Now, Ginny is talking about the technological side and all the Facebook ads and everything that goes with uh, being a prolific author. Are you saying that you don't enjoy this stuff 100% and it would be really nice if someone took it over for you? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. I... No, well, look, I probably don't hate it. I don't hate it as much as I used to hate it, but I certainly don't enjoy it. I, I'm not a tech person, you know. I find technology kind of frustrating. Um, and it's like I've had to do it and I've had to learn it and everything else. But every time I, I start a new thing, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> you know? um, um, so, yeah, if, if Mark Dawson could just swoop into my life with or without his underpants over his pants, I don't care. Um, and he could uh, just take my computer and set up all my ads for me and have everything running. And I could just sit there dreaming up my stories. Well, that would be just perfect. But uh, unfortunately, I've got the next best thing. I've, I've got him on a Facebook group and uh, I've got his videos on my computer. Um, so it's the next best thing. But um, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's hard, you know? And I'll be honest with you, like there's people who are really techie and they love all this stuff. I'm not one of those people. I'm really not. But honestly, I know people say this all the time about anything, but if I can do it, honest to God, anybody can do it because I'm really like, this is not my area at all, you know? So um, just a determination to do it and sit down and say, okay, look, and there's, there's tons of help. There's tons of help. You know, you can get to a point and go, okay, it's doing this. Why is it doing this? And go on the Facebook group and somebody will tell you what's happening. So um, you're not alone. <laughs> This sounds more like a Samaritan's ad than a book thing. <laughs> uh, I think it's really important that we, that we, yeah, we need to demystify. We really do need to demystify the um, process of writing and publishing because people think they can do it. I've got people coming to me and I'm coaching them in writing, Jeannie, and they want me to tell them how to do it. And I said, it's not my job to tell you how to do it. It's my job to encourage you to do it and support you while you're doing it. Because there is no how to do it that exists, is there? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And for everybody, it's different as well, you know. So there is no way of doing it. You know, it's not like building a wall or baking a cake. The, the, you know, there's just a way and you just learn how to do that way. Everybody will have their own way because everybody's got their own type of stories to tell. And, and even the marketing, people have different things they like. I don't particularly like Facebook ads. Um, I really do like BookBub ads. I really like Amazon ads. Other people love Facebook ads. You know, some people love blogging. I don't particularly. Um, you know, some people love being really engaged on social media. That's not something that appeals to me particularly. Um, so there's, there's, you know, you have to try and test and see what works. And your audience, once you figure out who your audience are, you know, I've, I have a fairly good idea who my audience are now. I have an advanced reader team of 500 people. I have 9,000 people on my list. Um, I, I have a fairly good profile of who those people are. So, so now I can set up my ads knowing who I'm marketing to, which I wasn't able to do at the start. And I think it's something that's really tricky for writers. You say, well, how am I supposed to know who's reading my books? 
that's something that happens over time. And as you engage with your readers, you build a list, you start talking to them on email, you get a really good sense of who they are. And then you can not only target your marketing, but in a lot of ways, you target your books to those, you know, um, like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people say that, you know, that one of the things they like about my books is that they're clean. There's no violence. There's no um, graphic sex. There's no, um, not bad language, that sort of stuff. Um, it's not because I'm particularly clean living person. It's just, I, I don't know, maybe it's my Irish Catholic upbringing of the nuns or something. I don't know. I can't write sex anyway. So, um, but I know that my audience liked that. And so I, I would never write a book that had, say, a graphic sex scene in it or, or an explicitly violent scene or something, because I know my audience wouldn't like that, you know, um, and they wouldn't buy the books. So as time goes on, you, you develop a, a, a kind of a, a persona, really, almost an amalgam of what your, your reader is like. And you write to that and you market to that. If that makes a bit of sense, I don't know. Yeah, look, it, it certainly does, knowing your reader. Um, now, everybody, I hope you notice the things that Jeannie's slipping in as we talk here. It's She's rushing through this stuff so so very, very quickly, but the fact is she knows so much about this stuff and she is successful and she has replaced a teaching income. Um, but she has, what did she say, 500 advanced readers 10,000 on your list, Jeannie, and it's taken you time to build that up, plus you're prolific in your writing, plus you've educated yourself uh, on the marketing side of things. You're not sitting back waiting for someone else to tell you how to do it. You spent four years training yourself, educating yourself, um, churning out 20,000 words a week at times. Everyone, I guess Jeannie is, is saying that she's successful, but there's a hell of a lot of hard work going on there behind the scenes, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I don't always love it. That's the honest to God truth. There are days when I'm absolutely allergic to it. <laughs> But never the writing, I have to say. I always like the writing. But the, the marketing and the list building. And, you know, like I wake up every morning to a full inbox of emails that have to be answered. And I try and answer everybody who emails me. Um, and would I rather be doing something else? Maybe, you know. Um, but and it's not that I don't want to talk to the people on my list. I do. But it's just so time consuming. Um, but I just get up in the, in the morning and I do it before I go teaching and I do it in the evenings. I don't really watch TV apart from House of Cards, which I'm addicted to at the moment with Kevin Spacey. But uh, that's seriously cutting into my writing time. Um, but generally, no, I'm not, I'm not a TV person. Um, I don't go to the gym. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't do any of those other laudable but time-consuming things. Yeah. You know, I, I work, I wear my family, I hang out with my husband and I write. <laughs> Yeah. And look, hanging out with that husband in that um, country cottage in Cork is, is still still got me enamoured, I've got to admit. Um, now, I'd never heard of House of Cards, um, but someone at school told me yesterday that it follows um, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So now we're downloading yeah. um, House of Cards to watch that as well. Oh, well, you just write off, write off the next two months of your life. <laughs> Once you get into this, you can just, yeah, it's addictive. It's addictive. <laughs> Well, there don't, you go. don't download it if you don't have two months to spare <laughs> <laughs> there you go everybody if I don't have any podcasts for the next two months it's because I'm sitting in front of a television screen and it's all Jenny Granger's yeah. fault I blame you totally um, <laughs> blame this, me is, <laughs> this is a woman who teaches um, romantic poetry to teenage boys in Ireland the mind just boggles uh, I want to mention one last thing and I've taken up look we've made an hour even with all our intermittent um, breakups my favourite favourite writer in the world when I was in Ireland, because I have a new favourite writer in the world every other day, and you're my current one because um, I've got a box set of you and I want to read it. Um, oh, I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it. It's Fox Swallow Scarecrow by 
Elias Nidubhan, D-H-U-I-B-H-N-E. Have you heard of, heard of that author? It's broken up again. Give me the name again. It's, the book is called Fox Swallow Scarecrow and yes. the author is E-I-L-I-S-N-I-D-H-U-I-B-H-N-E. Somebody named Divna, yeah. yeah I've, I, what's her first name? I don't, is Sheila Nadivna? E-I-L-I-S. Is it? Yeah. Um, I, I haven't read it, but I have heard about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's a really groundbreaking kind of a, a novel, I think. But I, I I don't know anything about it, but I have heard her um, interviewed on the radio. I think. Yeah. Now I read that everybody when I was in County Cork and we were down there for New Year, and my darling daughter Samantha stuck her toes in the Irish Sea in January, and she nearly died of frostbite, and she was only in the water for about a half a second. Uh, beautiful part of the world, freezing, freezing cold, even in the middle of summer, and all I dreamed of was my tropical island. But listening to you, Jeannie, I want to go back to <laughs> Ireland tomorrow. I uh, do, do come. It's it's looking gorgeous today. Blue skies and sunny. It's lovely. Irish people don't know what to do with themselves when the sun comes out. We're always a bit confused by it. We're not really sure what to do with it, you know. I, I remember the teacher at school, my, my children were only four and five or four and six or something, and I remember they were out in the playground and I said, I remember saying to the principal who you called the master, I said, oh, excuse yeah. me, excuse me, master, um, my children haven't got hats on, can you pop a hat on the head? And he looked at me, <laughs> he looked at me incredulously saying, but it's the sun, we never see the sun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> You know, never, never, never. Uh, we're, it's, I believe it's a big yellow thing in the sky. I don't know. We've never seen it, but it's... <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful over there, everybody. One of the funniest things about Ireland is when the weather gets sunny. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But uh, we don't know how to dress for sun either. You know, we, we all look a bit peculiar when the sun comes out because we're not exactly <laughs> sure what to wear. We're not like you Aussies living in perpetual sunshine, you know. Yeah, and I think I got in trouble because I wanted a backyard. They don't have, not many people over there have backyards either um, because people don't want to actually go out in them. No. Well, unless you had a coat and an umbrella and a pair of Wellington boots. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember Jeannie sitting in the car with the heater on and I'd make my husband go out to the playground with the children and give them a swing and a seesaw. And they'd try and they'd be out there for four or five minutes and they'd be back in the car because they were all just frozen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, there's, there's no there's no excusing it. We have terrible weather. We have a beautiful country with terrible weather. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it terrible weather? It's just it's never hot. You know? I, so, yeah, um, it's the. Perfect... But I guess if you live in in when I was when I was tour guiding, people would say to me, you know, people from places like Lubbock, Texas, and they would get off the plane and they would just be like, "Oh my God, this is heaven!" You know, it's misty and damp and. I just loved it. So to each their own, I guess. Yeah. It's a perfect romantic country, I think, for, for a handsome hero husband to, to be a novelist, to live in a little cottage in Cork. Um, I want to finish off, and I'm going to finish off really truly this time. This is a quote from one of Jeannie's readers that I found on a Facebook page. Oh, you've got me again, Jean, crying like a baby at your latest book, unputdownable, hiding in various places around the house to read it. Then the kids find me and I move rooms. <laughs> I love it. There's housework being abandoned all over the globe, and I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, women fight back. You're right. You're absolutely oh, right. Behave with the hoovering. Sit down there and read a book for yourself. Uh, all right, we're going to finish on that note, everybody. Uh, you can find Jeannie. I'll put her. I'll put her website up at the end of the um, podcast or the podcast notes. But it's pretty easy. I think it was JeanieGreenGranger.com. Uh, and you can listen to this recording as often okay. as you want with all the fading in and outs and you will pick up something different every time. Jeannie, you're a treasure. Thank you for being so very, very patient with our sound. There's 20 questions I haven't gotten, gotten to in this podcast, so you're going to have to come back again. Okay, I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Thanks all a million right. for having me, Mel. All right, I love talking to you. Right. Thank you for your patience and we'll talk us in. Bye for now. Bye.